Coming up on this episode of an unexpected podcast, we finally dive into the Silmarillion. Sort of. We'll fast forward through the forward, try not to ruin a letter that spoils, discuss divine power couples, OG bad guys, prophecy fulfilling canines, and the greatest choir ever assembled. All this and more coming up right now. Welcome, everybody, to episode two of An Unexpected Podcast. My name is James O'Flaherty, and I'm joined once again by... Adam Hillier. How, How are you, are you doing everyone? Tonight, Ads? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, James. How are you? I'm also very well, thanks for asking. We uh, finally got together for this second uh, recording of episode... Excuse me, third recording of episode two. <laughs> we've, we've um, yeah, we're taking our time. A couple, a couple dress rehearsals, and, and here we are. I'd like to uh, to start, I think, ads by reminding everyone that we uh, we started a ritual last week by lighting a fire at the beginning of the show. We did, and absolutely. If if anybody did listen to that uh, first episode, first and foremost, thank you for your time. Uh, and secondly, uh, we we thought that that would be a theme that we'd carry through. So, ads, you got the matches? I have indeed. I have indeed. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay, let's go. So as Ad strikes that up and, and lights the fire, um, I will uh, set the idea in your head that um, if you'd like to, imagine yourself sitting at the Golden Perch. That's what we'd like to do uh, for episode two, like we did in episode one. Yeah. And we'll be moving around in our imaginary placements uh, to a few little watering holes and re- uh, relaxing places in Middle Earth. Uh, but tonight, once again, sit by the fire and pour yourself a glass of something warm or cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, or something that starts cold and goes in warm. Um, and imagine yourself sitting at the Golden Perch. Ads, can I ask you? Yes. How excited are you to finally dive into the Silmarillion with a bunch of people listening along? I am. I'm really, really excited. I Me really too, am. man. I really, really am. And I don't know if anyone, if anyone did listen to that first episode... Can I suggest at some point you remember to go back and by all means listen to it again, but at the very least go back and listen to the the song that um, signs us out and right at the end of that song there's a little nugget that probably explains how we felt after finishing that first episode. And I'm as excited starting this one now. It's true. We sound like like schoolboys. Um, there's genuine, <laughs> so genuine excitement there. I'd forgotten. Uh, I really had forgotten we'd done that, and then you put it in as a total surprise for me as well. So, uh, yeah, great stuff. I'm really well, looking forward only, to it. Only you and I listened all the way to the end, anyways. Um, but actually, that's a professional uh, segue. Well done, ads, because I'd like to talk about that wonderful uh, intro music you just heard by Nathan Mills from Beyond the Guitar. Definitely. Please definitely go check out his YouTube channel and all of his wonderful, amazing, incredible uh, music. He, he does covers of and uh, creations of and mixes of, um, I, w- I want to say nerd music, but uh, there's, there's probably a better, a better term for it, but Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, um, some video game stuff. 
He just yeah. did. Uh, he, he just released the Coco. Did you see that? Yeah, I've been I've been checking him out actually since since we found him and and obviously uh, uh, Mr. Harry, Harry Merle, Harry Merle yeah, as well. Harry I mean, too. both of them so talented. But the 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 performances that they've got on their YouTube channels. I mean, man, you could get lost in some of those. I mean, it, a few yeah. of them I've just listened, press repeat, listened again. It's it's been really good, and they're very talented chaps have been lost in, in uh, Nathan's music and again nice segue and coming up at the end of the show you'll hear uh, Harry Merles and I, I feel like I'm saying it wrong Harry so reach out to me and uh, either pat me on the back for getting it right and doubting myself <laughs> or smack smack me across the back of the head and say it's it's Morel you dummy or however it is I'm supposed to say it um, but Harry plays the outro music which is equally enchanting and uh, go check check him out on YouTube as well. Thanks, guys, for letting us use your stuff. Yeah, top talented dudes. Really, really good. Really good. Ads. Yes. We're slowly growing on Twitter. We are. We are slowly growing on Twitter, which has been really amazing to watch. And look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go through everyone because we'll be here for a good five minutes. But some special mentions, just to some some people that really have been great to help sort of retweeting. Uh, the show after that first episode dropped. So uh, some special mentions mentions going to uh, Caitlin. Uh, you've been brilliant. Thank you ever so much. Um, yeah, Caitlin's been awesome. Thank you, Caitlin. Welcome aboard, and uh, please continue to do what you're doing. You've, you've been uh, uh, probably as, as proactive in putting putting our tweets out there as we have, so thank you so much. Yeah, she, 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 she's been really great, and she, she appears to be a really good sort of... Uh, Tolkien fan, uh, as well as Star Wars by the looks of it. So um, thank you, Caitlin. We've also got a few of the usual gang, which which I'll mention in a minute. But um, before that, there's, there's a, a May, a May Heller. Does that ring huh. a bell, James? May. May is, uh, is going to be hopefully well-known to all of us very shortly, but May joined on Twitter and May will be joining us on the podcast. Yeah, she in will. episode three. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, yeah, May's uh, a good friend of mine. She's yeah. awesome. You, you guys are going to love her. She um, she seems really cool, I have to say. Just the interactions I've had. Uh, looking forward to uh, episode three already. Um, who else we got? We've got we've got the usuals. So, uh, Mr. Paul Corey, um, a bit of a mention for him. Again, he's a big Lord of the Rings fan. He's been helping us out. Uh, Kigo, um, Mr. Keegan himself. So... He's been great. And then there's the usual Star Wars Commonwealth uh, crew, which uh, have been helping out as well. So, Ads, can you see my show notes? I've got to, I've got to mention this, you know, the, the, the favorites um, that I like to listen to podcast-wise. And so my next note says, mention favorite pods. And you mentioned the Star Wars Commonwealth. Look Star Wars Commonwealth, yeah. I mean, it, it's well the done, place sir. to go. Oh, absolutely. It's the place to go, James. It is the place to go. If anybody here also enjoys Star Wars, um, send yourself over to the Star Wars Commonwealth. It is undoubtedly uh, all you need for all of your Star Wars wants. Everything from um, the movies to the novels to the comics to collections to uh, lightsaber <laughs> techniques. Yeah. Uh, really, you can find it all there, starting with my, where my heart um, has a place and my ass has a seat uh, weekly um, at the Tumbling Saber and a, and a quick shout out to Corey and Kyle my boys yeah um, who, who inspired me to get started over on this show so uh, yeah definitely go check them out the whole Commonwealth uh, is incredible 
Nice. Right. Are yes. we gonna spend, spend the whole show talking about awesome people, or are we ever gonna get to talking about this book? Let's start. I guess I guess we gotta get there eventually. I um, reckon. As much as Ads and I like to ramble, and, and I said we we're gonna talk about the book, and now I'm gonna ramble. Uh, something we did notice uh, when we listened back to episode one, something I noticed, is I was trying really hard, um, first of all, to enunciate. Uh, apparently, I was trying really hard to use the word wonderful as often as possible. <laughs> and um, in listening back, I realized that I was, I was trying to maybe not be myself. I was, I was thinking, you know, I'm doing a Tolkien podcast, and I want to be uh, broad-reaching, and I know there's going to be some really smart academic people listening along. And so I think I, I tried to sh- chameleon myself a little bit. I won't do that again this week, Ads, because as we sort of talked about uh, a lot off air, yeah. um, the point of this podcast is not to be academic, is not to get everything right necessarily, because we won't. I'm sure we'll make mistakes. <laughs> um, yes. It's, yeah. it's to enjoy and love with like-minded people, uh, Middle Earth, Arda, uh, and a bunch of great books. So that, that's why we're doing this. And if we ramble along, I think uh, we've said this three times, but this will be the only time it actually got recorded because <laughs> the other two got scrapped. Um, there's, there's two reasons to take a walk. Either you take a walk because you need to get somewhere, in which case it only makes sense to walk in a straight line and take the shortest route. Yeah. And that, that's an academic podcast. Um, but there's also a walk for pleasure where you just walk where the wind blows, uh, where your eyes fancy and you turn left or right because something attracts your attention. And that's sort of how this podcast is going to go, I think, um, more than in a straight line. Yeah. Uh, if, if, that, uh, if that suits you, then welcome aboard. Yeah, let, let's just be ourselves, I think. Let, let's, let's just sit down every couple of weeks and have a chat. And if that chat um, does well enough and people like listening to us, then fantastic but i think if we try and be people we're not then we're going to come across really fake and it's not going to work so screw it let's just be ourselves boom okay good so i'm glad we set the record straight on that uh we will probably try to keep this um pg so we if, if anybody if we have younger listeners uh you probably don't need the earmuffs and if we do mm. slip up from time to time i'll find a clever uh, at least clever in my mind way to uh, to mute it out. I think we should dive into some Silmarillion. Let's do it. All right. I've got my copy here. I know Kigo got his copy in the mail. I know Kyle got his copy at the bookstore. Yeah. So we've got some people diving into it for the first time. And when you dive into the Silmarillion for the first time, there's a couple of things you'll notice. The first one is the book doesn't start till, you know, 30 pages in. Um... So uh, let's address those first 30 pages. There's a foreword and uh, there's a letter. Well, there it is, our first Gandalf lightning strike of the podcast. And if you were uh, with us last week, you'll know that we use that sound to interject and either update or correct mistakes or just say things that we got wrong. Uh, Like in this instance, uh, I wanted to let you guys know that not all copies, and if you're holding one of them in your hands and wondering where this letter to Milton is, not all copies of the Silmarillion uh, have said letter. It's in newer versions only. So uh, if you don't have it, well, then don't worry about it. And uh, don't worry about spoiling yourself because it is a spoiler-type letter. Uh, back to the discussion. Back to the discussion. 
Uh, the letters is. to a publisher, an American publisher from J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. Ads will talk about that in a minute. But I'm going to address the foreword, and I'm going to do it uh, with a, a couple of quick excerpts and uh, maybe a brief summary. But the foreword basically says, uh, tells of what the Silmarillion is. It, it describes how J.R.R. Tolkien was writing it his whole life. Uh, it's the mythology behind um, Lord of the Rings. It's, the, it's how the world that Lord of the Rings was set in is created or was created. And it's, it's a mythology for, um, for England, uh, for the UK, for uh, a people who didn't have their own um, Zeus and uh, sort of explanations for, for nature's wonders. And so he, he created one, which is really, in and of itself, an amazing undertaking, don't you think? Yeah, I do, absolutely, I do. And the thing that I took from... Um, <laughs> So I think I probably said this, I'm sure I said this on one of the uh, failed episode twos, but the way I look at the Silmarillion is almost like a... It's like a history text. It, it's, it's an account of something that actually happened. And um, it, it works because it's, it's got that depth to it. You know, there is this huge le- legendarium of, of Tolkien's life work i guess that's been put into the most fantastic language and it's just brilliant it is uh and i, I think you, you nailed it uh, by saying it it enriches um it's it's the richness and it's and and it enriches the lord of the rings so anybody who hasn't read this uh will not only benefit from reading the book itself but boy, are you going to love the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit uh, even more yeah. after you read read uh, these stories? Yeah, I, I mean that's something that pers- personally um, I can't wait to, to to do is is to almost get get to the Lord of the Rings and get to the Hobbit again because I've not read the Silmarillion apart from very recently. So you know, as we yeah. touched touched on first in the first timer. episode, yeah, I mean I've just I've just read it. Um, I think you probably need to read it two or three times, if not more, to actually fully grasp it as well. So there'll be bits as we go through this book that that I'm going to be picking up myself. But I can't wait to get to The Lord of the Rings. It's my favourite book. And to be able to to read my favourite book with the insight that the Silmarillion has now given me, or will give me, is is exciting. Yeah. Yep. You're not wrong. Can't (laughs) wait. Good, good. All right. Uh, Good. Good, good. Uh, the Silmarillion, now published four years after the death of its author, is an account of the Elder Days, or the First Age of the World. Uh, that's how the foreword starts, and uh, that's an important point. So there's some confusion sometimes. People see the Silmarillion, it says, by J.R.R. Tolkien, um, you know, and then it's got Christopher Tolkien's name on it as well, edited by. So who wrote what, and, and how much of it is, is the professor's, and how much of it is, is Christopher's? Hmm. And the answer is, it's 100% all of it, um, the professors. Christopher took the uh, incredibly overwhelming uh, task of assembling what, what amounted to piles and piles of manuscripts and ledgers and scribblings uh, that were started in, in, as far back as 1917 and all the, all the way right up to the very last days that he lived, he yeah. was working on these stories. And Christopher uh, abridged them and brought them, put them together in, in uh, from what he could discern was the most congruent way to assemble, assemble them between the pages of one book. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, they, they could be told in different ways. If you or I had access to those manuscripts, th uh, the, the histories w would be slightly different because Christopher made decisions. Uh, he definitely influenced the result of the book, but every word of it was written by his father, and so I think that's an important sort of distinction to get out there. No, definitely. I mean, I would say that there's, there's parts of it where Christopher might have to have bridged across you know, he, he would have been or chosen. I think even more often just chosen between if, if the, if the professor hadn't decided himself, um, you know, which way the story was going to go or had changed it over time, then, right. then Christopher had to decide which one of those versions he was going to use that made sense to, to, to sort of plug between all of the other stories. So I think, I don't, I don't think, um, the, the problem was so much, uh, connecting them as much as making making them make sense sitting next to each other okay okay that no that makes sense that makes sense but uh, i think what christopher tolkien has done is incredible i mean the <laughs> the breadth of work that his dad left him to to present yeah uh, i don't think christopher's job should be um it should be taken lightly. I mean, it's it's a fantastic thing he's done, and it's his lifetime. You know, it's his work as well. I don't know which is more impressive, Ads, the, the, to to create that or or to take all of those piles and and put them into a book. I I, I think I could probably argue either side. Yeah, uh, I agree. It, I agree. Quite a task for sure. Yeah. Um, um, I think, and I think that's uh, something we should address too. Uh, as we go through this, for some of you who have read these books, uh, hopefully we're just highlighting some of the things you loved, like we loved. Uh, but if you're new to it, I think the way to look at the Silmarillion is um, it is, in scale and scope, as much bigger than Lord of the Rings as the Lord of the Rings is bigger than The Hobbit in scale and scope. Um, yes. You know, The Hobbit is, is a children's story, albeit uh, with some sharp edges. Uh, it is a children's story with, with sort of some uh, ch 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 adolescent tones and uh, mixed with adult themes, but certainly less so than Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings takes place over a much longer period of time. The Hobbit, like a year, and Lord of the Rings, like a hundred years. Um, well, the Silmarillion takes place over like thousands and thousands of years. And uh, the events shape literally shape the world so it's yeah. it's and it's on an epic scale even beyond the scope of lord of the rings so it's it's really um for some people daunting but also uh once you get into it moving and powerful and and tragic <laughs> uh but certainly uh really really uh, a moving book and you could argue as well james that the uh the time period that the Silmarillion covers, uh, you know, as you've rightly said, it, it is is far larger than anything that uh, Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit covers in, in the time of, of Middle Earth, etc. Um, but just the first chapter that we haven't even got to yet of the Silmarillion, there's almost an infinity level. Um, of time there you know time time doesn't actually have a number for years for, yeah years unnumbered um yeah so basically infinite time and infinite space which uh i think is a concept that blows a lot of minds and so he mm. he quickly um and smartly starts putting numbers on things he does yeah he does <laughs> he does uh, good stuff right, I'm gonna good stuff I'm, I'm gonna wrap up with a foreword here by saying um 
there are a lot of names coming up, and this is addressed also, and I'll, I'll read a little excerpt here as well. Uh, from the foreword, it says, the number of names that occur in the book is very large, and I have provided a full index, but the number of persons, elves and men, who play an important part in the narrative of the first age is very much smaller, and all of these will be found in the genealogical tables. In addition, I have provided a table setting out a rather complex naming of the different elvish peoples. So he makes a point in the foreword to say, look, there's a lot of names in this book, so many, that uh, I made a map and a, and a list and a, and a table for you that I set at the back of the book. And I don't think it's a bad idea to use something like that as you read the book. No, I think, I think it's it, good yeah. to have on hand either you know, flip, be flipping to the back or have uh, some sort of, uh, you know, if you've got an iPhone or an iPad beside, beside you as you read, you can go to you know, the onering.net or, or one of the reputable sites, Wiki, mm. um, and, and, get, and get the information because it does help when there are so many names to sort of just look over and go, oh, yeah, okay, that's the, that's the guy who likes to ride horses and, and hunt things. Yeah, no, I, I t could not agree more. I mean, I, um, when I was reading it, I had uh, photocopies of sort of the, the family trees uh, spread out on the table in front of me. I had, I had folded up bits of paper inside my book that I was carrying around with me back and forth to work, and I would sort of, like, use those as well. And... As I was reading about a particular character, I would be then flicking back through these books to find out, you know, who this character was. More often, it was it was to sort of get the repetition because the names, the places, they're quite daunting at first. So to be able to have the sort of encyclopedia, the the dictionary, the the factual information about who that person is again and, and where's that place again and the maps as well the maps were really really helpful because you could place them in your mind where that particular event was happening then and um, yep. I really think they help to to get the understanding that you need to sort of go through the books yeah once you're into say chapter four five six the names they do stick eventually but at first uh, it, for me anyways it was like Teflon they were all sliding off they were very similar and without something to, to reference, you could get lost. So I would recommend that. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would. I would. So the, the, the foreword basically says that. Um, you could read it and enjoy it. I did. I think it's got some neat information. But it doesn't spoil anything in the story, like does the letter to Milton. <laughs> um, it does have some spoilery aspects to it. Uh, before, before you sort of talk about a little bit about it, I'll say uh, I thought about this, um, and it, it came to my mind as we set up to record today. What makes the Silmarillion excellent in my mind is not what happens. It's not the events themselves. It's how the events themselves are described. And so to tell you that, uh, for example, Varda put all the stars in the sky. She's the Lady of Light. Yeah. Uh, that is a fact. And it's beautiful to read, but it's not that fact that's interesting. It's the d beautiful description that is entertaining to read. Mm. And so to read this letter to Milton gives you sort of a, a point form summary of the events of time um, in, in his world, but, uh, but they're only point form. So why don't you take it from there, Ads? Okay, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a letter in the Silmarillion, um, before you get into the story, a letter by Tolkien that he wrote to um, the American publisher Milton Waldman back in 1951, and as James has already touched on, it, it's effectively... Um, it's a collection of his thoughts. It's it's a description of of 
how he considers uh, his his great legendarium to be viewed, and and importantly how it shouldn't be viewed. You know, there's there's discussions about uh, allegory and and fairy stories, etc., uh, myth, but it, it does it does spoil. There is there is a spoiler element to it. It will, by reading it, tell you in part what is going to happen. But as James has said, it, it spoils, but it doesn't spoil. In in a way, it it gives you the it gives you the bones, but it doesn't give you any of the flesh. So the the descriptions. Um, that that come from the story itself then provide the that you know the the um, what's the words? I think what gives the, the enjoyment the, the experience of the enjoyment too comes from the descriptions and not the bones. Yes. So yeah, I think I think that you're you're uh, you're dancing around the, the the idea because it's it's hard to put your finger on what makes the Silmarillion fun to read, and it's not one thing. No, um, but it, but it's also not the the bones. Uh, it's it's not just the specific events. So I'd I'd say you could read the letter. I think it's interesting to note too, ads that the letter was sort of, um, you know, the publishers when they got the Hobbit. <clears throat> maybe we, did we mention this on episode one? I'll say it again. When they got the um, when they got their hands on the Hobbit and it started selling well, they said, you know, we want more of this, more little guys with furry feet on big adventures. <laughs> yeah. And and his his response was, hey, I have the Silmarillion. It's this much more epic story of the whole world that these little guys live in and it's 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 and he goes on to tell about it and and he, he, that's what why ad says he spoils because he tells all the events in his letter to the editor and says you know you want that and the editor says well that's nice do you have anything else with uh, furry footed people um so they, they sort of shot down his idea at, at first and and that's how the lord of the rings came to be it was sort of a like well i can you know he could he could give them another story that involved hobbits that wasn't as as big in scale but certainly was you could tell um, from the Lord of the Rings, uh, that he definitely had all of this on his mind the whole time. Yes, and I think as well the fact that they wanted that Lord of the Rings was because they'd already identified the uh, the market, hadn't they? They, they? they knew that The Hobbit had been the success it had, they knew the people that liked The Hobbit, and I think there's a big jump to go from The Hobbit to The Silmarillion. You know, there, there sure is. There aren't any hobbits in the. Uh... No, no, there's not. There's not. But equally, just just the the story itself. The story is, um, not better or worse, just very different. Um, very different. It's not as juvenile. And n- no, not not juvenile in a. I don't mean that in a belittling way. I, I mean it in a, in a more literal way. Shout out to Corey. Chop rules with a Z. Um, <laughs> Oh, jeez, that gives me an extra editing ad when you say things like that. Now i got to go put in another Z. Any <laughs> rubbish. Um, um, but, yeah, I, I think... Uh, the story is not juvenile, so... Oh, yeah, I mean juvenile in the more literal sense, uh, how it was intended to be um, uh, less intense and, and, and of, uh, the consequences less severe and, and the stakes less high. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I should add about the spoilerific nature of, of, of that letter to Milton Waldman is that, yes, it does. It does give key key parts of the story away. But really, you know what's coming anyway. 
because you've got The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, if you've read those books, of course. So there is, there is an end game that most people who read The Silmarillion know. Um, and this is just filling in the gaps, but it's filling in the gaps in the letter in a very brief way, which the book then just blows out of the water. Almost water. All right, let's get into that. Good stuff. Um, so the foreword, overall, we say probably read it unless you're really against spoiling the ideas in The Silmarillion, then skip it because yeah. you, you will get a broad overview. And I think it helps to have that overview, but some people don't like to do it that way. There's an um, argument, there is an argument, James, just very quickly to say that um, if you don't want to know the story, you could still read the first part of that letter because that letter yes. gives gives an initial view about the way Tolkien thinks rather than actually getting into the story which comes in the second half of it. Which, you know, let's spend one minute there. It's really interesting to me um, how, he ex- how he sort of uh, says he hates allegory and yet everybody wants to call Lord of the Rings allegory. Yeah. <laughs> and I like the distinction or the idea that um, Tolkien believed that if you create... Uh, secondary um, creation stories uh, that are real enough that uh, can be latched onto by the reader and uh, that that are well-written enough that he feels like they're real and relatable, that he'll apply his own reality to it, and therefore um, it may feel like allegory to a lot of people. Yes. But it's not exactly the same thing, and it's, it's, it's it's a small distinction, and yet... It's it's a it's a huge distinction. Yeah, it's massive, definitely, and um, that was quite the bugbear for Tolkien, wasn't it? He did not like the references to do with the war. Um, that people had just assumed that you know this was something to do with the First World War, that it was a story based on that. Um, he didn't it, like because he thought that people, if if you read his book looking for the answer, then you'd miss parts. Yes. Uh, if you were looking to unlock. The key. If you were looking, looking. Exactly. Oh, I solved it. It, it. This is, you know, dwarves are are, are Hebrews, and um, you know the the orcs are Germans, and uh, you know, and you start you start doing that and fitting it together like a puzzle, then mm. you'll miss a lot of of the contextually beautiful stuff that he wrote and wanted you to enjoy. Yeah, I I could not agree more. I could not agree more. And that and for that reason alone, from someone who who actually learnt quite a lot about Tolkien's um, uh, thoughts about that subject, I learnt that from reading the first part um, of that letter. So it is interesting. It is it is worth, I think, reading at the very least the first half of that letter. Um, and then you'll, you'll know pretty quickly when he starts talking about the story. Fair enough. That is That was worth mentioning. Ads. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. So what are we doing, James? What's What's next? So instead of uh, doing what the professor did, because he's a better storyteller than we are, and <laughs> also had uh, the luxury uh, and penalty uh, yeah. of, putting it, of putting it to page, um, since we're trying to fill your earballs, and you, there, there is something um, to visual learning. And because this is a podcast, uh, when, you read this, when you read the name Manway over and over again, it starts to stick not only because you say it in your mind, but you see it. And... There's a lot of names. So we figured instead of doing like the professor and just jumping into the story uh, like he does in his first chapter, mm. we're going to break down who some of the main players are first 
since you won't have the uh, visual memory aid as you read along. Okay. And James, do you want, just before we get into the characters, do you want me to, or shall we discuss that first paragraph from the Valaquenta? Which gives I think a, it's a good idea. Yeah, it, it's a good lead-in, isn't it? We don't necessarily go into the story, which we can do in a future podcast, but it is going to explain a little bit about um, who these who these people are, who these characters are, before we then go into detail. So the whole the whole thing, I'll set you up, Ads. Ads is it. about to read the first chapter from, uh, excuse me, the first paragraph yep. from chapter two, uh, which might seem like an odd place to start, uh, but we sort of picked and and hummed and hawed and, and we and we approached it from a few different angles and this is what we settled on we think it gives you the best intro to some of the ideas and then we'll move into the people and the ideas that are being set up are the ideas of creation um, so take it from there ads okay so in the beginning aru the one who in the elvish tongue is named aluvatar made the aina of his thought and they made a great music before him in this music, the world was begun, for Aluvatar made visible the song of the Ainur, and they beheld it as a light in the darkness, and many among them became enamoured of its beauty and of its history, which they saw beginning and unfolding as in a vision. Therefore, Aluvatar gave to their vision being, and set it amid the void, and the secret fire was sent to burn at the heart of the world, and it was called Ea. Okay. So, um, first of all, uh, that I, I just I just love the idea that the world was the, the universe was sung into existence. But before yeah. we get ahead of ourselves, yeah, what ads just read uh, had a lot of funny names in it, and we're gonna we're gonna address them right off the bat. Yeah, we so, are. So, um, there's the one, the one god, the big the head honcho. Uh, his name's Iru, and it's Iluvatar. We're gonna settle on Iluvatar. Uh, Iru sounds like a few other things, um, so we'll, we'll only call him Iluvatar as often as we can. <laughs> and as, uh, um, w- when there are characters with more than one name, we'll, we'll try to settle on one to, s- to simplify things. Same thing with the term Ia. Ia, uh, Ea, uh, just means Middle Earth, uh, for those who can know Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And uh, it has a bunch of different names as well. Arda, um, for the world itself, the planet itself. Middle Earth, Ea. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll we'll just call it Middle Earth as often as we can. Um, from there, ads. Mm-hmm. I want I want to say that w- we should go through who some of these people are, like the Einar. Yes. And then we should read that chapter again near the end of our discussion, because I think even on the first um, hearing of it, some people probably got lost. And hopefully, oh. if we do our jobs right, yeah, <laughs> if you read that chapter again or maybe part of it. Um, It'll make sense. So let's let's try to do that for people. What the Ainur, um, A I N U R. These are the one God's children, and they're gods just like him. They're the children of his thought, and each of them sort of uh, has its own distinct emotion. Like he had the one guy, the the, the Iluvatar brought pride into existence and gave him a name. Uh, he brought. Um, charity into existence and gave it a name, compassion into existence and gave it a name. And these are the gods that he ruled with, his children. Yeah. Um, and they're the ones who sung this music. He creates these children, these, he creates gods 
um, his children that sing this music, and the ideas of the music are create the universe. So um, Ainur is a word that comes around again, but even, even that word, the children of Iluvatar, even his children have two classes, the Valar and the Maiar. So a lot of words, a lot of names. Um, today we're only going to be talking about the Valar, the main head dudes, so Iluvatar's children who are the most important. There's like mm -hmm. seven or eight of them we're going to talk about today. If you want to compare it to something you know and you're looking at like Greek mythology, we're going to be talking about um, the Zeus and the Ares and the... Hercules. Yeah, Hercules, the, yeah. the, the sort Ta of um, embodiment of these certain virtues in, in Tolkien's world. Yeah, and yeah. Those are the, val the Valar, V-A-L-A-R, Valar. Um, there was a king. Should I start there, Ads? Go for the it. The king of the Valar, the king of the, of the universe under his father, Iluvatar. His name was Manwe. Manwe was the lord of the winds and the first king. He was nobility. He was righteousness and justice. Uh, he took the form of winds and associated with giant mythical eagles, the first eagles, giant birds of grace, power, and wisdom. And um, Manwe, uh, notably, was most like uh, or closest to his father in thought. Yes. So uh, that, that's important and noticeable uh, and was uh, assumed to be um, and, and just appointed as nobility, the first king and ruler uh, in all of the stories. And, and it's a theme that's followed through all the tales. There are lesser kings uh, of different races, but he's, he's the OG. And uh, only second in power to, uh, of all of his brethren to one other guy who I'll mention next. So Iluvatar has all these Valar children. Manwe's the OG first king. He's got some brothers and sisters <laughs> and his brother, the most powerful of all the Valar, is Melkor, the bad guy. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Sauron's master, Sauron, the bad guy from Lord of the Rings, was an apprentice to this OG bad dude. And notably, he was the most powerful of all of the um, children of the Luvatar. Yeah. I almost said of all of the Valar, but he wasn't counted amongst them. He's a bad guy who got himself kicked out of the uh, family really early in the story. Yeah, he's the, he's the Lord of Darkness, isn't he? Um, and uh, envy, full of pride, spite, envy, yeah. jealousy. He Absolutely. embodies all of the necessary human emotions that everybody uh, contains. And yet, um, he, he uh, as much as he's evil, we, we learn through all these stories that, that he's also required and essential. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop the conversation for two seconds, Ads, because my six-year-old, Eleanor, has come down to say goodnight. So let me <laughs> give her a kiss. Night, Eleanor. Do you, want, do you want to say goodnight to everybody? You don't have to, but you can. <laughs> Are you too shy? You want me to tell them? Okay, she says goodnight, everybody. Good night. Um, yeah, that's my six-year-old, just going up to bed with a big smile on her face. Bless her. <clears throat> Melkor, the OG bad dude. Um, yeah, so he was uh, notably the most powerful. And so uh, he, he 
I want I want to say I want to say turned on his family, but really he did what was in his nature. He did what he was supposed to do and, and got himself into some trouble early. But uh, Melkor and Manwe are the two sort of import, most important uh, figures right off the bat. Yeah, they, I mean they're your opposing you're opposing good and evil, aren't they? They're your yeah, they yeah, exactly. they they're your they your two they your two camps. Um, and uh, everything about the story that then follows stems from uh, from their from their well hatred of each other's the wrong word because I'm not sure Manway hates Melkor, but their hmm. uh, their differences. That's uh, a good point. Probably not capable of hate. Uh, but yeah, we've we've started with two. I hope people are still following along. Yeah. And we haven't gotten too crazy or off the beaten path yet. Let's move to Manway's wife, oh, Varda. She's good. <clears throat> Varda. Um, th- th- they're sort of like the first power couple. They I'll are. probably blast over some like uh, some Beyonce uh, or Jay Z music because that's who they are. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're the uh, I, I like. You're from the UK, so your your take was a little different. Who did you say they were? Oh, they're the Posh and Becks. Oh, I thought you said Kate and Wills. Oh, that was my next one. <laughs> either <laughs> they're way, either. Uh, they're either. Yeah, you're right, and. Um, <laughs> She's she's the uh, the queen and uh, the, the the sort of compl- I want to say the the yin to his yang, but they're not opposites like that. She she sort of compliments him in a very nice way. Yeah, I think, she I think is they do. They compliment each other, don't they? I mean, I think they they are they are every bit the power couple because without the other one, they're not quite the they're, they're more not powerful quite the force. Together. Absolutely. And James, what was her name again? Varda. Any other names? Oh, uh, Elbereth. Elbereth. Is that the name you're, you you wanted me to, to reference? Yes, I she does have did. many names. And Elbereth is a good one to bring up. She, um, the elves uh, held her in very high regard and would pray to her mm. um, in time of great need. And, and that's come up in a couple of the stories that some of our listeners who don't know the Silmarillion still may be able to uh, to tie into, right, yeah. in Lord of the Rings. And that's what's so fantastic about the Silmarillion. I mean, you, we've already touched on these three massive characters but we've we've touched on on elements of them which when you're reading it for the first time you're going oh wow Mamwe uh, has this massive relationship with eagles eagles lord of the rings hobbits uh you know varda oh she's also named named uh, elbereth now elbereth is in in stories that aragorn tells etc etc um mm-hmm. It, it's just fantastic when you see these little connections come through that you know so well from the other books. But this is where they come from. This is this you know this is the this is the depth of the the legendarium coming through. It's really good. Yeah, I, the, the good point adds, and it's it's sort of like getting the, the gossip behind the uh, the event. You know, you you know what happened, and now this is like talking to the to the neighbor, the nosy neighbor, yeah. getting the backstory. Yeah, it's like little fist pumps where you suddenly realise there's another bit of information that makes sense when you're reading the Silmarillion from something you already know. Um, it's really good. Yeah, good good uh, good point adds, and it's it's part of what makes Lord of the Rings, I think, so enjoyable is that nothing is accidental. And as you read these books, you realise that the plan. Is, is is much larger than than uh, maybe you understand when you read the Lord of the Rings by themselves. Yeah, um, just one more thing about Varda. Um, there's this beautiful description of her in the book where she is um, said to have the light of a Luvatar in her face, so that That's when right. when people look at her, they see a reflection of his glory, and. 
I just think the that's most beautiful. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she has, you know, her, the creator uh, reflected in her in her appearance. So. And she created all of the stars uh, in the sky, which again is a bullet point. We, as you read how that comes to be, it, it is a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. But she is the Lady of Light. Varda is light. Yeah. And that's her, that is her association. So. Um, that is our power couple, and I think uh, the reasons that they're important, more than just what they do in the story, is what they represent, mm. and they are the first king and queen, so it's important to just, of all the things you remember about them, keep that at the top. Moving along, I think next maybe we talk uh, a little bit about Olmo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to take, take Olmo? Oh, the lord of the waters. So he's your, your ocean lord. He's your... Um, Triton, Poseidon. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you think back to to, to those those myths, etc., he, he is he is that that individual, um, and he effectively commands the the movement of all water. So he's in charge of the sea, the lakes, the rivers. Um, he's uh, in charge of rainfall mists dews i mean he he is he is water so um, there's a massive uh, there's a massive element all the way through arda middle earth um, where olmo is is this big part um, he has a very very strong relationship with manwe um, they're very close aren't they james uh, yes and he he doesn't have a a spouse. He doesn't he doesn't have a wife. Um, but throughout the story, he demonstrates this this real connection with the um, the children of Iluvatar, who we'll meet later on. Um, he's probably the one that sticks around and helps out the most as the story progresses to uh, times closer to where the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings are. Yeah, he does take a particular liking to the elves. And he does, yeah. And, uh, intervenes and and uh, and interjects and helps out quite a bit. Is involved quite a bit uh, yeah. with with their exploits. Olmo. Olmo. Uh, we'll, he's 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 the he's the uh, the loud guy too. Apparently, he's the noisiest of all all of the uh, Valar. <laughs> I can under I can understand that. Who's next, then, James? A bit of Ole, maybe. Oh yeah, that's where I would have gone from there too. Um, I hope we're playing. I, I, I do intend on playing some music behind uh, these discussions, something fitting for each character. So we should have started some some strong rock music for Ole. What do you think? I agree. He's the smith, um, the maker of mountains, and he does more to to shape the world um, landscape-wise than any of the Valar. Uh, He's the master of crafts, uh, the divisor of all metals and gemstones, and um, he he just wants to create. Um, he's very much he's, he's impatient. Would you say, James? He 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 has these yes, things yes, he yes. wants to create, and um, that gets him into a bit of trouble later on. Yeah, he does. He creates something. In- really quite incredible and the Silmarils are not what I'm what I'm talking about because while involved he didn't create those um, we probably won't spoil it now but he he does uh, show some impatience but at the same time as being impatient he's also not possessive no and so well he, he does get a slap on the wrist um, his his um, willingness to give 
away freely the things he creates uh, does save him from getting in sort of more trouble, I think. And that's an important distinction between um, his ability to give things away that he creates when you compare that to Melkor, who... Um, he wants OG to, bad guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he wants to possess them. He wants to uh, distort them, to to change them to suit his evil purpose, etc. Uh, and yes. there's a big difference between the two. Yeah, not only does uh, both of them, and, and as I mentioned once before, Melkor was created, the, was considered the greatest uh, of all of, of um, you know, the, the gods. And so he would have been the greatest, even though Ole was the smith, um, Elcor would have had skills that matched his in, in the creation of things, gemstones, mountains, and, and anything else. And Melkor's, the, the big difference, like, like you said, was Melkor um, being uh, envious, Yeah. Um, didn't want to share the things he created, and also wanted to corrupt or destroy the, the beautiful things other people made. Definitely. So who's he married to? He's got a, he's got a beauty, uh, a real beauty of a wife. Being, being the guy who's sort of like foundations of the earth uh, hands in stone it makes sense that he would marry mother nature and that's <laughs> basically who his wife is right yeah indeed the the fruitful queen of the earth yavanna yavanna is yeah basically the mother nature character she's uh um, the, 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 the gardener extraordinaire how yeah would you say yeah i'd agree i mean she's described i believe as as tall as a tree dressed in green and she's responsible for planting the seeds of all plants on Arda, creating the forests, the pastures, um, the fields, um, and she conceives the Ents. So, you know, not to late, be too hasty, but later uh, on, yeah, she's responsible yeah, no, she, for that. She she conceives the Ents and trees uh, from the very beginning hold a very special place in her heart. And trees, um, there are some pretty important trees coming up in these stories as well. Yeah, there definitely are, definitely are. And I would say, I mean, this is probably a good point to mention this, that we've spoken about Manwe and uh, Varda being this, this power couple. Now, they are, in my view, the, the higher class couple, not just in, in a class point of view, and Tolkien was quite big on class. You know, there was class mm-hmm. distinctions in the Hobbits, you know, let alone anything else. But Manwe and Varda were the, the high-class couple, the king and the queen. Now, Ole and Yavanna, they, in my eyes, the way I read it, they're the working-class couple. They're the ones they, are, that, they are a power couple as yeah, well, but they, they get their hands a little dirtier. They absolutely do. They're the ones that are actually out there working, <laughs> working the fields, you know, creating the mountains. Um, and I think that's I think that's really interesting to sort of see early on in that story how Tolkien has created these two very important but very different um, couples. Yep, uh, and and all of these ones being you know the the most important uh, next next along in that gang. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think I'll move along to uh, Orome. Ooh, okay. Uh, the hunter. Yeah. The bowsman. Uh, he's he's your general type. He's your military leader type. Uh, he he got his kicks out of um, when the world first comes into creation, and, and they they tell of the very very early days of Earth. There are some some foul beasts and rank mo- monsters in the dark places of the world, in the shadows as everything's being created, dragons and worse. Um, and and. Uh, his, he got his kicks by seeking out the, the biggest and the baddest of these and, and killing them. Hmm. So, you know, 
fearless and tireless and um, strong, not only in, in terms of physical strength, but also endurance. Uh, he's, he's your, your super ranger uh, soldier. Yeah, he roams far and wide, doesn't he? I mean, he, he discovers things um, later on in the book. Uh, the, the first of the Velata to discover... The elves. Where, whoever. Well, we, let, let's say it then, the elves, yeah. He's, he's the chap that, that goes along, discovers the elves, and is instrumental then in connecting them with, you know, with the gods, with, with the, the Valar. I like bringing this up now because um, to paint his picture, picture uh, a godlike elf. Uh, and I think that's, yeah. that's not, not an accident because being the first god that the elves ever saw came in contact with, I think they, they were affected by and modeled themselves after him, held him in a regard, held the things that, you know, hunting and, and, and the, the shooting of a bow mm. were important to him, so they were important to the elves. I'm, you know, that's not accidental, and I, I, I think it's worth mentioning here. No, and also to me, I've made that connection. No, I, I, I think having heard you say that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, he, he has a famous hound as well, I believe, oh. and I, a bit of a favourite of yours. I, 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 if you're a dog person, I don't know how you couldn't latch on to Huan, hound <laughs> of the Valor, uh, the Valar, excuse me. Um, I don't know how you couldn't latch on to him. And even if you're not a dog person, he's he's pretty. Uh, impressive character in indeed yeah he uh, but is also, good but also in in uh, he, he's a character of prophecy which i like he's got some some i don't always like prophecies but his i like and yeah. he's got some special gifts uh, uh one of them just his bravery is astounding so huan is a personal favorite of mine yeah his storyline uh is brilliant isn't it? it it's it's a very it's a very um a very well put together, very heartfelt um, story. So we'll find yes. out more about him later on. Who's next? Uh, why don't we talk about uh, Mandas? Ah, Mr. Happy. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the stern judge of the dead. We'll call it, well, the Grim Reaper type. If, if, you're, if we're looking at like sort of parallel with things people know. He's the Grim Reaper type guy. He's the guy in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, isn't it? Is it Excellent <laughs> yeah, Adventure much. or well, the other one? Bogus Journey? Yeah, it might could, be Bogus Journey. Yeah, it could be Bogus. But um, he is, he's the master of doom. He's, he, he knows the fate of all. Um, he's also called Namo. Um, and he resides in the halls of Mandos. And, you know, effectively, when, when an elf dies... In you know, in Arda, then they go to receive judgment from Mandos, uh, and and yeah, he's a he's a he's a fun guy. His house is sort of like purgatory, I guess. He's, he's sort of like he, he judges and, and and decides, and he he does have he does show compassion. I don't want to give anything away, but no. not everybody who goes to the Hall of Mandos, Man, excuse me, Mandos, um, gets. Um, gets sent along. He, do, he does show compassion at some point, but the idea is he is the judge of the dead, and when you die, you go to his halls to be judged. Yeah, and he's actually... He he doesn't come up a huge amount of times in the story, does he? But when he does, he usually has something really quite important to say. Um, he He's one of the 
he's one of the Valar that that you you see at various points in the story, um, and they're key points. And there's one particular uh, part that that James was suggesting there, without going into any detail, where you know he plays a massive part. Um, there are there are others that are named once or twice at the very start of the story, and then you never hear from them again. But Mandos is different. Yeah, he comes back, and and he is married. We'll mention his his wife's uh, name quickly, Vere. Yeah. Um, but she's not a huge player, so we'll sort of brush over her for now, um, and move move next to his sister instead. Oh, good. Uh, Nienna. Yes. Nienna uh, is uh, Mandos' sister and Lorian's too. Lorian, uh, another one we'll brush over for now, but you'll hear that name again. You've probably heard it before. Yeah. She's known as known as the Weeper. The Weeper. Um, she's she embodies grief and sorrow, and she'd be your uh, she'd be sort of your um, your weepy, dramatic, uh, but but compassionate and caring social worker type. Yeah. Yeah, she she very much embodies um, mercy. I think she she turns woe to strength, grief to hope. Um, from sorrow, you learn wisdom. You know, it's a key. Although it's it, it, it sounds quite a depressing individual, she plays a very important role in the story um, and in subsequent stories. You know, throughout throughout hmm. Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, pity comes up quite a few times not least with um with Gollum that's true pity pity is a theme and in fact Gollum the pity shown to Gollum is probably you could you could draw a straight line to Nienna um the weeper and you could draw that straight line uh, based on a connection that's going to come up in our poll discussion yes right Ed? yeah so what was the poll James the poll we asked uh a few weeks ago and and Look, guys, we, we did our best with uh, trying to, to run through some of the main players there. Uh, hopefully some of the info sticks. As we read through the story, it is going to be important um, to know who we're talking about. So if we lost you a little bit this episode, uh, you would have got a little bit lost in the reading as well. And that's sort of a normal entry into this world is being mm. lost in the name. So don't stress it too much. We will go slowly. So the poll we did, Ads, was... Uh, we, put, we pinned Gandalf against Sauron. Yes. And the reason we pinned Gandalf against Sauron is not just because uh, they're two really cool characters from The Lord of the Rings, but moreover, they're also both Maiar. We've been talking about these Valar. Um, well, they're also demigods, um, lesser of the Ainur. And we didn't introduce any of those today, but no. we will talk about one of them. Because Gandalf won the poll. And Gandalf is actually a spirit, a demigod spirit who's thousands of years old, incredibly powerful, yeah. notably the wisest of all um, the demigod spirits. And he was the servant of Nienna. Who was very big on pity and compassion, which is where Gandalf then... Um, you know, takes that on when he's talking to the likes of Bilbo, Frodo, you know, exactly. about Gollum, and and again, it's it, this this wonderful character, this fantastic um, uh, character of Gandalf, and he's got a massive backstory that you actually touch on right at the start of the Silmarillion. 
No, it's it's uh, it really is sort of cool, and I, I do enjoy um, the links that you get to sort of uh, uncover as you go through it all. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's nothing really there's nothing really more more fun to me than than uncovering uh, solving puzzles. And while uh, you don't get to do that through allegory, like some people like to do, yeah, you do get to do it through nuggets of information buried beneath. Um, you know, between two lines of text where you say, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Gandalf learned pity from her. Now he's teaching pity to all the people of Middle-earth. Yeah. He's learned through time that not all tears are bad tears. So he says, I will not say, do not weep, for not all tears are an evil. And we do know, adds quoting, Getting, getting Tolkien quotes is important. <laughs> I apologize uh, right is impor- for that. Is important. I really apologize for that. <laughs> oh, don't apologize. <laughs> I it may, happens. I may, I may have not done my research uh, when I was retweeting uh, the first episode earlier on today, and I may have sent it out with a quote that wasn't actually Tolkien's. So yeah, we got called on it, and yeah. I said in episode one, if when we make mistakes, call us on it. So yeah, hands up, um, it was my fault, completely my fault. So um, yeah, lesson learned. Nah, no big deal. It happens. Ads, okay, we're doing stuff. it. We're we almost are. there. We are. We're, we're getting. We're getting through it all. Um, I want to take a, a, a little bit of time here and say uh, a couple of things to people who listen in. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, I didn't say Carlos uh, Candido's name yet, and I want to say it because. I'm going to try to convince him to be the first person ever to read the Silmarillion before Lord of the Rings. <laughs> if, if, if anyone's going to do it, it'll be Carlos. <coughs> I, think we sh- I think we should tr- try to twist his arm into that. And it's a big arm, so be careful. <laughs> um, I also want to mention again, Kyle, I didn't take enough time on the first show to acknowledge just what a big role he's played uh, in my putting any sort of effort forward into this starting a new podcast. Mm. I find Kyle to be uh, really quite inspiring with his uh, work ethic and dedication to not only his podcast, but his fans, his yeah. listeners. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's impressive, and he's a pretty low-key guy, but uh, I wanted to just take another minute and say thank you, Kyle, for you know, all you do over at the Tumbling Saber and also um, you know, helping me out with all the stuff you've helped me out with getting this uh, little show off the ground. And he does all of that while still putting up with Corey. Ha! Yeah, that's uh, that's a <laughs> that was a joke, mate. It's a joke in and of itself. No, that wasn't a joke. <laughs> he, he meant it. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, let's also mention uh, Talk Star Wars, Mark and Rob, and the boys over there. Uh, let's also mention the Nerd Room. Yeah. Let's also mention um, Rogue Squad Pod. Let's also mention Gen X Wing. Yeah. Uh, let's mention. Skyhoppers. Uh, the Skyhoppers podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. That's all right. And we've got uh, San Diego Sabres uh, to, to throw into the mix. Yeah. And I, I'm mentioning these guys because they're all part of the Star Wars Commonwealth, and we love that group of people. Rang them in at the beginning. We rang them in at the end. Mm-hmm. Ads. Um, we mentioned Harry Merle, who's going to take us out of the uh, show here in a few minutes. Yes. We mentioned Nathan Mills from Beyond the Guitar, who brought us in. We did. Do you think you want to read the first five or six sentences, not even the whole paragraph again, but the first five or six sentences um, back here as we go out, I think that would be a good way to end the show. Okay. And hopefully, if we've done our job, a few of the names, like Ainur, uh, who are the gods, who we've been calling the Valar, uh, see, there's two names that get confusing, 
but hopefully um, we did a good job explaining it and it makes a little more sense. Okay, let's go. So, we'll take it away. All right. In the beginning, Aru, the one, who in the elvish tongue is named Aluvatar, made the Ainur of his thought. And they made a great music before him. In this music, the world was begun, for Aluvatar made visible the song of the Ainur, and they beheld it as a light in the darkness, and many among them became enamoured of its beauty and of its history, which they saw beginning and unfolding as in a vision. Therefore Aluvatar gave to their vision, being, and set it amid the void, and the secret fire was sent to burn at the heart of the world, and it was called Ea. Perfect. Ads, thank you, my friend. We made it to the end of another episode of an unexpected <laughs> podcast. I've had a blast. I always do. Yeah. Recording's the most fun part, and this one we're not going to have to scrap. Uh, knock on wood. Yay! Unless there's an unforeseen technical <laughs> issue. Don't say that. Please huh. don't say that. <laughs> Plug your Twitter handle, buddy. Plug your Twitter ha- Twitter handle. Yeah. Uh, my Twitter handle. I got it wrong last time. Um, <laughs> my. <laughs> I know. The first. Don't don't listen to me on the first the first episode. It's wrong. Um, it is at ads ads seven, and that's the word seven capital S E V E N. At ads seven, I'm at Tommy. Excuse me, at Tommy Bombadil one, and please come and follow us along at the uh, Twitter handle for the podcast at an unexpected pod, all one word at yeah. an unexpected pod. We really uh, want to hear. Out. We really want to hear from you, don't we? We we I we love really really want feedback. We want we want questions. We want we want to know the bits you've loved, the bits you know we can do better, etc. etc. Yeah, call us out. Uh, tell us what we can do better, definitely. Tell us if you liked anything we said, and we'd love to hear from you. Ads, thanks again. Oh, uh, James, it's before been we go, a pleasure. One, one last quick... Oh, yeah, hey. This is... this is If podcasting was only recording, everybody would do it. Um, <laughs> what, what? Just one last quick, uh, quick thing I want to say as well is thank you to anybody who downloaded this week or last week's show. We really appreciate your time. Yeah. Have a great week, and we'll see you uh, sometime in February. Take care. Oh, and if you are going to read along with us, don't forget to tackle Chapter 1, I Knew Lindalay, before the next pod. Good night. gifted to the elves yeah one of them Galadriel has yes and uh, she shows it to Frodo in in the movie scene she shows it to Frodo when she he sees it when he looks in the mirror yeah yeah and he can only the only reason he can see it by the way no one else can see that ring is because he's a ring bearer that's the only reason he can see her ring ah 
Okay. It's a secret. It's a secret that he's in on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. That, ma- and, that makes uh, sense. And then so uh, Gandalf also has um, one of the elvish rings. It ended, I just I just do think it is sort of cool um, that uh, Frodo gets a sneak peek of her big secret because he you know he's carrying something pretty important himself. You've taught me something tonight. I did not. I did not pick that up. So um, that's cool. that's good. That's good. <laughs> it is good. 